Amen. So speaking of food that is is of different varieties and ethnic origins and all, one of our most marvelous, wonderful ladies in class, I don't know if you can look at that. She has just made this. Do you know what this means? Zoom, zoom. You're getting hungry. Oh, and it smells as good as it looks. And it's mine. <laughs> good morning. I'm so excited you're here. Or depending on where you may be watching this in the globe, good afternoon. Um, our Janet Seifert is in Scotland, and she just texted me that she's watching class in Scotland. So um, uh, that's, I. it's delightful, Janet. See, that was Scottish. Okay. There are times where I read the Gospels. And I read the stories about Jesus. And I find something stunning within them. These are the times where I read the Gospels. And I recognize that these stories happened 2,000 years ago. And I know that they dress differently than we do today. I know that they, they you know, didn't have air conditioning. I know that their lives and their culture and their language were different. I know that, that their understanding of the way the world exists was different. But I can still, when I read some of those gospel stories, I can see myself vaguely reflected in those stories. Not all of them, and not all of the time. Then it's not always a clear picture of me in there. Sometimes it's a little fuzzy. But I still find myself in many of those stories. And so for our devotionals this morning, I wanted to share with you some of those. And the roadmap that I've got for this goes from the Holy Lands, and we can just look at it from where Jesus actually walked for some of this. So I want to show you on the journey through the life of Jesus six places where I find myself and see if you find yourself in any of these six. So the first one that we're going to stop at on our road is Bethlehem. And from Bethlehem, we're going to journey north to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. And after that, we'll go even further north up to Caesarea Philippi. Then we're going to drop back down to the Sea of Galilee, make a quick run over to the shore in the area of the Gerasenes, and finish this trip up in Jerusalem. So that's our journey this morning. Six devotionals. One has a song, but it's toward the end, and the song is six minutes long. So if we're going to make it, we got to move. So fasten your seatbelt. We're going on a journey. Are you ready? First stop, Bethlehem. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Luke 2, 15 and 16. 
Now, I find myself there, and let me tell you why. They said, let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, that's, that's something where I'd say, just looking at that passage, see what thing? And so we need to look at Luke 2 to see exactly what Jesus' uh, birth was being discussed and what the thing was. So if we go back to that shepherd story with the angels in the same region, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. That scare me too. The angel said to him, don't be scared. I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign. You're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angels, a multitude of hosts praising God. And look what they're saying. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is. Here's the deal. I have a good friend who's Jewish. Who said to me one day, you know, one of the biggest problems with Judaism understanding Jesus to be the Messiah is we were taught as Jewish children growing up that when the Messiah comes, there would be peace. Our world is not at peace. The business world is not at peace. On Tuesday of this week, I'm set to take the deposition of the president of Milan Pharmaceuticals who raised the price of the EpiPens 600 and some odd percent. This world, it will not be peace. This world is not in peace. In the business realm, in the religious realm, this world is not at peace. There are countries where if you're a Christian, you are killed. There are countries where if you are Muslim, you're despised. There are countries where if you're Jewish, you're abused. You can go within the actual groups that I just named. And you want to see fights, look at in, in the Muslim world. The way some Sunnis and Shiites go at each other. Or look in the Jewish world, the way some ultra-Orthodox and Reformed go at each other. Or look in our own backyard 
and see the way different Christian groups go at each other. Our world is not at peace in politics. I don't need to go into detail. Our world is not at peace in so many different ways. And when the Messiah comes, there should be peace. It was announced, peace on earth and goodwill among man. Now, our world is not at peace. Did the Messiah fail? Is Jesus not Messiah? Did the promise of the angels fail? I'm at Bethlehem. Where is the peace? Our world is not at peace, but I am. I am. I'm at peace in my heart with God because of my Messiah. All of the guilt and all of the shame for everything I've ever done wrong has been removed from me. And I am at peace with my God. And because I'm at peace with my God, I'm at peace with this world. Even as I struggle against evil, I do it knowing that there is a God who is over all. And so I do it knowing a peace within me, even in the midst of the struggle. Jesus said it this way, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. So don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. We have the peace of God. And so in Bethlehem, I find myself at peace with God. And amazed at the Messiah child who brought that peace. Not a peace like the world's looking for, but a true peace. Next journey stop. Let's go up to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a a headquarters, a base for Jesus' ministry in Galilee. It was on the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Knesseret, as it was called. And here's the passage. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord... My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to the centurion, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, I find myself in that story in a lot of places. I find myself in that story in one way of of certainly needing the healing of Jesus. The, The prayer I've prayed many times, just say the word and we shall be healed, is a prayer that easily comes to my lips and I hope to yours. But I want to dig a little bit deeper. I want us to look at this and understand that the centurion was a Roman garrison commander. A centurion 
ostensibly was over, guess how many Roman soldiers? A hundred. He had a century load. Century, a hundred years. Centurion, over a hundred soldiers. Would not have been Jewish. So you've got a Gentile coming up to a Jewish rabbi. Now, Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, a practicing, believing Jew, Jesus would not have direct relations necessarily with a good bit of the non-Jewish world. It was not considered clean. Non-Jews were unclean. A Jew could not touch them without going and sacrificing afterwards and paying the price for being a, touching an unclean person. Much less go into their home. Now some people who are good Greek scholars will translate this passage a little bit differently than I've got it on the screen. I've got the English Standard Version. There is another translation where you can translate Jesus's comment, I will come and heal him as a question. The Greek can be, remember in English we have question marks and stuff. Well, they, they've got kind of some punctuation like that that was starting to be used at the time, but generally not. Generally, you don't expect that punctuation to, to be found for another several hundred years. And so the Greek scholars who put together a Greek New Testament decide where to put the punctuation. Sometimes Greek will have little words that signal this is a question. But sometimes you just have to garner it from the, the context. There is a slight indication. And by that I mean it doesn't have punctuation that was inherent in the first writing. It doesn't have one of the Greek question words. But the way it's written, you've got to decide between two different choices of what Jesus is saying there. Jesus is either saying... And I'll come and heal him? You know, like, question? I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. Your servant is paralyzed at home. You expect me to go into your home and heal him? Is that what you're asking? I'm to come and heal him? Question mark. And hence the centurion says, no, I know I'm not worthy to I'm, I'm, I'm not clean. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word. I'm a man of, of, of authority. I got people who work under me. I got a hundred troops. I tell them what to do and they go do it. You don't have to come into my home. All you got to do is just say the word and he'll be healed. That's one way to read the story. A second way to read this in the Greek, is not as a question, but as Jesus being extra emphatic when he says the word I. In other words, he's saying, and I, I will come and heal him. 
And Jesus is making a, a point of saying, I will do that. I will. At which point the centurion says, no, no, no. I'm not worthy. I understand I'm not clean. So you just say the word and he'll be healed. Either of those options find me in this story. Either way you read it, it's saying the same thing. Because it finds me as the centurion. When it comes to Jesus, it's not that I'm not Jewish, and he is. It's not that I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, outside the camp in that sense. But I look at my sin, and I look at my trespasses, and I know my nature, and I know that I am unclean. But I still need Jesus. I am unclean. But I still need Jesus. That centurion needed Jesus. He was unclean. You Look, you could say, I'm unclean. I'm not worthy of a closer relationship to the Lord. I'm not worthy of his help. So I'm just going to do the best I can. I'm going to get through this life. And hopefully by his mercy, he'll embrace me. Don't ever let yourself walk in that defeat. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, yes, you are unclean. And yes, I am unclean. But all that really means is that we need Jesus more. I don't care where you are on that spectrum, that timeline of knowing, and, and by that I mean an intimate relationship with Jesus. But whether you're at the end of, 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 of that timeline where it's uh, of that spectrum, where it's shallow and you don't know him well and you don't experience him well, but you're curious or you're interested or maybe you're not, doesn't matter. You need Jesus and you can grow. And you may be at the other end of the, you may have, have, have had this long and deep and intimate walk with the Lord. I promise you, you still need Jesus and you can still grow. And the intimacy can get deeper. Because there are all of these things that happen along the way of life. And each one of those can either be something that distracts us from Jesus or drives us to Jesus. And I want to see myself in that story as the one who comes to Jesus and says, just say the word. And I know I'll have what I need. Okay, next journey stop. We're going to go north from Capernaum, and we're going to go up to Caesarea Philippi. Here's the passage. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, now some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Eliyah, Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus said, okay, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now, this is interesting. 
I'm going to tell you that in today's October the 7th. Oh, always fear the 7th. It's very hungry because 7, 8, 9. Um, today is October 7. Today is October 7. Today is October 7. In two weeks, I'm going to be interviewing up here, God willing, a scholar from Bible Institute of Los Angeles, Fred Sanders, who teaches on the Trinity. And I'm really excited to get to interview him with you. This idea of Jesus being a good man, everybody in the world can handle. But the idea of Jesus being God, we know there's only one God. Now, you don't have to be a math major to figure this out. How does Jesus being God, the Father being God, the Holy Spirit being God, equal one God? One plus one plus one doesn't normally equal one. And this is troublesome for people. But what I would suggest to you is, is there are definite answers if you sit there and think about the fact that this is not simply a story about some carpenter who at the age of 30 had a career crisis and decided to become a rabbi and for three years walking the hills of Judea happened to have influenced enough people to where he changed history forever. This is something very different. The biblical story, the biblical saga is that there is a God, there is an entity, not a big supersized human. There is an entity that's not like us in terms of physical limitations, in terms of limitations of time, limitations of thought. There is a being that is of such incomprehensible nature that we cannot see him that we cannot in our little three and a half pound collection of gray cells we call a brain, we cannot fathom the depths of who this being is. They could create this vastness we call space. And somewhere in the midst of countless galaxies have this Milky Way galaxy where there is a solar system around our sun, which includes our dirt clod, with 8 million people on it. And this being not only fathoms all of that, but shaped it, called it forth, with every law of, of physics that we know, and every law of physics we don't yet know. And that God who did all of that, knows every electron circulating around every nucleus of every atom in your body and mine. Not just right now, but for all of history and all of eternity. Every thought that's on 8 million people's mind at the same time. And all of that is just a 
grain of sand in his hand. I got to tell you, the Trinity gives me great faith because no human being could come up with this idea that there are three who are one. It doesn't, I mean, if, if this is a man-made religion, we just say there are three gods. Or we just say there's one God and a couple of juniors. Or we just say there's one God who appears in three different forms at three different times. But it's, it, is a, a, it is a divine reality that we are trying to put into human terms the essence and truth of a being that is beyond human understanding. And that's what it would take to be the God that we now in our scientific age understand this God to be. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He is God. And I join him. I join Peter in that proclamation in Caesarea Philippi. Let's go south. Let's go back to the Sea of Galilee. Here's our next stop. Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? I got to tell you, when the sun is out and the wind is behind me, I am a man of faith. <laughs> when my life is coming up roses, I love the Lord and I trust him with everything. When my health is good, when the health of my family is good, when the money supply is adequate, I really know God is there for me. But when the storms come, when the wind is whipping up the waves, when the wind is buffeting and knocking me down, when I've got the scares of health or career or economics or family, sometimes I can be of two minds. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Yes, Lord, I need you but I'm still scared to death. What if he doesn't come through? <laughs> or what if he's got this for me in a way that's just going to be brutal? What if my spouse doesn't pull through? What, what, what if, what, I mean, you know when that happens? Jesus did not say to Peter, O ye of little faith, 
I guess you're going to sink now. Bye. Jesus reached out his hand and he said, let me help you because you don't have enough faith right now to, to handle this storm. You started out really good. But you became of two minds and that part of you that was looking at the waves and realized what was going on got scared to death. And instead of trusting in me, you started realizing the impossibility of the situation and the desperate nature of the situation and you started sinking. But Jesus reached out his hand and in the midst of Peter's lack of faith, in the midst of Peter's dual minds, in the midst of Peter's weakness in the storm, Jesus said, let me help you. I love that story. I need that story because the sun is not always out and the wind is not always behind me. Everything's not always coming up roses. And oh yes, I'd like to say I'm, I'm like the picture of George Washington in the boat that you see. Ah. But all too often I'm Peter sliding down into the water. Oh ye of little faith. I need the help of Jesus to believe and to trust and to obey Jesus. And Jesus, you, you realize in that story, look, in, in this, I don't have time to go to that or we won't get to the song. In the story, Jesus, Peter doesn't just leap out of the boat, say, hey guys, hold my seat. I'm going to walk to the Lord. Jesus is coming. It's in the fourth watch of the night. So it's, it's between 3 and 6 a.m. So maybe we've got a little bit of light coming up. Or maybe they just see Jesus from the lantern that they've got. But they see Jesus at first. They think he's a ghost, a phantasm. Uh, they, they think he's an apparition. Then when they realize it's him, Peter says, hey, Tell me to come to you. Make it your will. Jesus says, get out of the boat and come here. Jesus told him to do it. Peter was obeying Jesus when he walked on water. Till he quit having enough faith in Jesus to obey Jesus. I need the help of Jesus to obey Jesus. That's the way it works. Okay, let's cut over to the Gerasenes. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Now, if you read the story, the story's dramatic. Originally, the people had chained this fellow up, but he's busting the chains. He's such a wild man, they can't come near him. He's ranting and raving and just going on and on and in a loud voice. And he lives among the dead. He's possessed by a demon, a legion of demons. So I have a question for you. Have you ever been sick as a dog? (laughs) 
I've been sick as the dog. Sometimes I get sick. I've got a sore throat. I've got a fever. I feel kind of congested. I might feel achy. And sometimes when I've got that, I have the flu. I've had that feeling before, those symptoms before, and it wasn't a flu. It's the common cold. I've had those symptoms before, and it wasn't flu, it wasn't common cold. It was strep throat. I see the symptoms. The symptoms may come from a different disease cause. But I still need the healing. Here's the reason I say it. When I look at the man of the tombs, I find myself there with him. Not because I'm demon-possessed. I don't have the same disease causing it, but I have many of the same symptoms. And I want to see if you can find yourself there as well. So here's what I've got for you. I've got a song called Man of the Tombs by a fellow named Bob Bennett. This song has been one I've listened to. I think this came out around 1981, somewhere in that range. So I've been listening to this song for a long time. I love this song. And normally when I play a song for you, I'll put the words up one line at a time as the singer sings them. This time, I'm putting the words up not one line at a time, but one section at a time so you can spend a little bit more time with the words while you listen. This is six minutes. It teaches my point better than I can. So listen to it and see if you find yourself there. Here it is, if this works. It can give us a little more volume.
story in any of that? This story is an incredible story. Just go back and read Mark 5 sometime today. 
and grab uh, YouTube or heavens, give him the three cents he gets if you buy a copy off of iTunes or wherever you get your music. Um, Man of the Tombs by Bob Bennett. It's a tremendous way of recognizing that those are elements within that story. Oh, we don't have the same, our unseen enemy that, that, that is at war with us is not one that's a legion of demons within us, God willing. But it doesn't change the fact that many of the symptoms of the diseases we still have, and he calls us forth from living among the dead, and he calls us forth from a life of pain, in a life where no one can touch us, the real us, and he touches us, and he calls us forth, and he gives us life, and he gives us peace of mind, and then he gives us purpose. The man of the tomb said, can I come with you? Jesus said, no, I need you to stay here and tell folks. Jesus had to leave. Do you know why? The people who were afraid of the man of the tombs when Jesus healed him, were afraid of Jesus. They ask Jesus, the Son of God, to leave. Man of the tombs. Okay, let's leave the Gerasenes and let's make our last little stop at our journey in Jerusalem. Where do I find myself out of all of the stories in Jerusalem? Which one do I choose? In part, knowing what David was preaching this morning, I'm choosing... My presence on the cross of Christ. There's this word. There's this word in the Greek language. There is this word that Paul uses. This is a word that is translated grace. We heard this morning the idea of it being unmerited favor. When Paul uses this word, and Paul uses it uh, in in a unique sense almost compared to the other New Testament writers, Paul uses this word, and I'm a picture guy. In my mind, I see things better with pictures. There is a picture in Paul's head when Paul uses this word to talk about the grace of God. And that picture is the cross of Christ. We have a tendency to think of grace as this attitude. And the word can mean an attitude of graciousness. I don't mean to to act like it can't. But we have a tendency to think that it just means this attitude of God. That God is gracious, the adjective. But that's not what this noun is the way Paul uses it, I don't believe. And it's it includes that concept, but, but and it comes from the same uh, um, attributes of graciousness. But it's a noun here. It is a very definite noun with a definite article. There is a grace in the sense of gift 
It's the same. It's a one of the Greek words for gift. There is a gift that God gave you and me. It's unmerited favor, but not in the sense of like I have favor towards you, but in the sense of he did a favor for us. It's a noun. It is a favor, is a person, place, or thing. It's something he did for us. A favor he did for us that we did not deserve. Do you know what the favor was? He took the sin and the penalty for our sin upon himself. So my sin is at the cross. Your sin is on the cross. When Paul says, for by the grace, the gift, the the favor that you did not deserve that God did for you, you have been saved. He's not saying God saved you by this graciousness. Like God, a just God could just say, okay. He's saying God saved you by a gift, a favor, by an event. By doing something for you, you could never do on your own. And you and I can never on our own pay the price for our sin short of being dead for eternity. Because that's the price. Sin under law brings death. So Jesus took our death when he took our sin. And in that Ephesians 2 passage, a couple of verses before the 2, 8, 9, and 10 that we're talking about, Paul uses these three long Greek words that are like multi-words put together, each one with soon, with, at the beginning. Three words that just ring poetically. But it's this poetic idea that we have been raised with him to walk with him and to sit with him. I mean, this, this, is, this is the Jesus, the God, that's beyond our ability to understand, who loves us enough to meet us at the tombs, to take on our sins, to love us, and to give us peace. And so that's where we end up today. We end up today with these lessons to go. I want to walk in the peace of Jesus. He has come that I might have peace, not as the world gives. So I'm, I'm tired of the turmoil. I'm tired of the worry. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm tired of the shame. I'm tired of the fretting. Fill it in with whatever it is. But replace it with the peace of God. And that comes from seeing your need for Jesus. Yes, you need him eternally for salvation, but you need him day to day. You need him moment by moment. You need him minute by minute. And you need to be seeking his help. He's not there to judge you with condemnation. He's there to reach out his hand when you're sinking and to pull you out because you don't have enough faith and you don't have enough power to do it on your own. If you did, he didn't need to die for you. So let's be amazed at who he is, this incredible being beyond our comprehension who becomes personal and becomes real to us.
And let's take his healing and walk under his cross. Because that's where the healing really comes from. And those are our devotionals for this week. May I bless you in the name of Jesus and we'll leave. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to pour your blessings out upon all who hear your word. But especially through this message, Father, that that you will stir up within our soul, within our conscious mind, our desperate need for you, whether the sun is out or the storms are raging. Grow our faith. Help us in the midst of our little faith. Heal us. Drive the darkness from our lives. And give us a better understanding of the gift, the grace, the favor that you did for us on Calvary. In Jesus, through whom we pray, amen. See you guys next Sunday.